Uh, we're reading uh, in our series on Romans. We're in uh, chapter 13, verse 8, and uh, we've been talking about the outworking of the gospel in the Christian life. What does it look like to be a Christian uh, with, uh, when you've known the salvation, the, f- the forgiveness, the justification that comes from Jesus as a free gift, the grace of God? How is it that we live? So uh, chapter 13, verse 8. Let no debt remain outstanding except the continuing debt to love one another. For whoever loves others has fulfilled the law. The commandments, you shall, not commit mur- uh, sorry, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, and whatever other command there may be are summed up in this one command. Love your neighbour as yourself. Love does no harm to a neighbour, therefore love is a fulfilment of the law is the fulfilment of the law. And do this, understanding the present time. The hour has already come for you to wake up from your slumber because our salvation is nearer now than when we first believed. The night is nearly over. The day is almost here. So let us put aside the deeds of darkness and put on the armour of light. Let us behave decently as in daytime, not in carousing and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and debauchery, not in dissension and jealousy. Rather, clothe yourselves with the Lord Jesus Christ and do not think about how to gratify the desires of the flesh. Okay. Now, you would remember we previously went through the book of 1 John. Well, some of you would remember. And and we ended up, he's, he's talking about love all the time as a command that we... He keeps coming back to. And Paul says this, Let no debt remain outstanding or owe no one anything except the continuing debt to love one another. Now these first words, owe no one anything or let no debt remain outstanding, some Christians have sort of interpreted this to say you should never get a loan. Right? In its context, it's not really saying that... I wouldn't bring this up except you don't want to be under that misapprehension. Like sometimes it can be a problem to have a loan if you're going over your head and things like that. But the Bible actually doesn't say don't go into debt. The Bible does say don't charge excessive interest, don't rip people off. Uh, And it also says if you've got a debt, make sure you pay it back. But the context of these verses is not about money and borrowing. That's what I wanted to say. But it's really... it's. Don't owe anyone love. Don't owe anyone love. Pay up straight away. Because he's basically saying, we owe everybody love. Okay? It's not as to hold back. God doesn't hold back his love from us, so we must not hold back love from one another. God may discipline us, but that's not holding back love. In fact, Hebrews 12 says, he disciplines those he loves. So don't hold back love. There is a debt and we owe it. We have a debt to, ru- to love one another. It's an obligation of the Christian to love one another. We know this, we're told this again and again in Scripture, aren't we? If we hold back, then we are dishonouring the people we should love. We're not giving to them as we should give to them. So we're actually in sin when we don't love because Christians should love and we need to pay back and we need to continue to pay back 
because then we reflect the love of God that continues to pour out on us. Now, some people don't pay back and love, don't uh, offer that gift of, uh, of love that they should because they haven't got anything to work with. Yeah? If you're in debt and you owe money and you haven't got money, you've got nothing to pay with. Well, what I want to say is this. If you're a Christian, you've got something to pay with. You've got the love of God that's at work in you in the power of the Holy Spirit. Um, if you don't have love to be able to love others with, then you are not born again and you need to actually become a Christian because children of God have a well to draw on, a deep well of clear, fresh water, which is the love of God that comes up from that well and it flows through us to others. We, all, we actually have love at our, uh, when we need it. It's there. So... If Christians say, and some do, I really just can't love that person, they've done me wrong, uh, I can't do it. Uh, but you know the love of God, you know the love he's shown us, you know the forgiveness, you have the Holy Spirit. All I can say is this, Paul's saying we can love. We actually do have that ability and we must. We owe love to everyone from what we have received from God. It is not that we have something in ourselves. We don't have the ability to love ourselves. We don't have that. We give the love that he's given us freely. And that is is another way of saying we remain connected to the vine who is Jesus. And it is his love that flows through us to flow out to others. Now he said in there, love for your neighbour... Now, um, and uh, we know at one time they asked Jesus, who is my neighbour? Because they were trying to get out of loving everybody. So, love your neighbour, well, yeah, that's only the people next door, that's only a certain group of people. And basically he told a parable, which if I could sum up one aspect of it, it is um, you don't love those you choose to love. You love those God has chosen and those he presents to you. If he presents to you a person in the flesh, you are to love them. Okay? You don't get a choice in that one. Okay? It's pretty hard to love people you don't know in another country. But if you meet them, you love them. Okay? Let no debt, verse 8 was still in, let no debt be, remain outstanding except the continuing debt of love to one another. For whoever loves others has fulfilled the law. People call this the law of Christ the law, the the new commandment he gave. But actually, that's not what Paul's talking about here. He's talking about the old law. He's talking about the law of Moses. He's talking about the Old Testament. Uh, He says, when you fulfil the law of love, uh, you fulfil the law of Moses, which is the law of Christ, but it's always been there. Now, one time Jesus met a lawyer and, and he asked, what's the greatest commandment? And Jesus didn't go to the Ten Commandments and pick his favourite one, right? He, he, he did the sum-up statement. We know this well. He said, quoted Deuteronomy 6.5, Old Testament Moses. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your strength. And then he quoted Leviticus 19.18, the law of Moses. Love your neighbour as yourself. Jesus said, all of the laws and the prophets... Hang on these laws. 
Right. Now, I just want to just say, I've heard some strange stuff over the years when it says love your neighbour as yourself. And people say stuff like, well, there you are, you can't love your neighbour unless you love yourself. Now, of course, because we love to be full of ourselves and we love to be selfish, so we love to make that apply to us, don't we? And, and, I, and I always struggle with people who said it until I heard this old Aboriginal preacher down in Adelaide, uh, uh, Maury Thompson with his name, and he said, no, you have a look who he's saying it to. He's saying it to this mob of Pharisees who love themselves. And he's saying, you know how you love yourselves? Well, you should love others like that. He's not saying, go and love yourself. Because, <laughs> because, you see, the only way we can actually accept ourselves and really live in our own skin is if we know the righteousness of Christ that's come to us. When we know we've been forgiven and accepted and adopted into God's family and called his children, then we have the ability to live in our skin happily. It doesn't mean we love ourselves because we've got a whole lot of sin we don't love. Do you understand? Right. That's not written in my thing, but I wanted to say it anyway. So all of the law and the prophets hang on these two laws. In other words, they are the sum up, the fulfilment Love the Lord your God, love your neighbour, is a fulfilment of the whole law. That makes sense. And so then, you see, the first part of the law about love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul and mind strength, that sums up the first bit of the Ten Commandments, doesn't it? Uh, Have no other gods before me. Have no images of worship, false gods. Don't misuse the name of the Lord and so on. Right? Those commandments can be summed up in love the Lord your God. Because if you love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul and mind and strength, you're not going to misuse his name, are you? And, and you're, not going to, you, you, you're not going to have any other gods because you're loving him with all your heart and all your mind. You've got no room to have a heart for some other god. And so the second part of the law, he said the commandments, this is towards one another, which is where Paul's at in uh, Romans, the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, and whatever other commandments there may be, which includes they shall not bear false testimony, don't lie, you know, and uh, are summed up in this one commandment. Love your neighbour as yourself. It's obvious, isn't it? If you love your neighbour, you won't kill him. That's, That's fair. Okay. The Old Testament laws are kind of like subparts of the law which says thou shalt not love. Because when people say, oh, we've passed the Old Testament, that old law don't count anymore, it's like, no, 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 that teaches you what love is. Or, in this case, what love isn't. That's what these are saying. This is the thou shalt not. Paul just, you know, last chapter said love must be sincere. He's saying this is what love looks like. Now he's saying this is what love doesn't look like, but he's not making up something new. He's going back to Ten Commandments. Adultery is the first. Don't do this. Now, actually, in our world, adultery is seen as something quite positive nowadays, really, because if you really, really love somebody who's not your wife or your husband, and then, but you're in love with them, well, you should go off with them, shouldn't you? Because that's just love, right? And get divorced and love that new person. I'm not telling you this is right, okay? Because in reality, there is nothing more destructive in this world than adultery. It ruins people's lives. It ruins families. It tears people apart. You would know this. It ruins the lives of children. 
it ruins the lives of grandparents who are the adults over the, the parent. It, adultery is, it brings anger, betrayal, hatred, bitterness. There's breaking of promises. It gives people the inability to trust. Adultery hurts everybody. Don't commit adultery. Why? Because you love. Do you understand? Now in the Bible, actually, if you went back to the first five commandments, most often in the Old Testament, but also in the New, adultery is taught, it's like correlated or joined together with idolatry. It's saying you're worshipping another God. Here you are worshipping this God, the one true God, and then you turn to another God. That's like committing adultery. And idolatry in the Bible is actually the worst of sins. And uh, so this command to not commit adultery is, it's a high command. It's really, really important. And the, the positive side of the course is, thou shalt be faithful in marriage and out of marriage. Now, I'm not talking about uh, living together before marriage there. I'm not saying that. I'm saying... Be faithful. Hold to the truth. Okay. Murder. Clearly murder is opposed to love. But at the heart of murder, you cannot murder someone unless you believe that they are worthless. Because the act of murder is saying, this person has no value or worth whatsoever. That's why I can kill you. You are of no value to this world. Which is why Jesus actually says... Uh, if you call someone a fool, you're actually committing murder. Because you see, when you're saying a fool, you're saying, yeah, you have no value. You're of no value you, as a person. It's destroying the image of God in them. You're not, I'm not going to give my time to you. You might as well be dead. Do you understand that? Uh, thou shalt not murder. Don't steal. Don't take from others. What the heart of God is giving All he does is give, isn't it? He gives. And the Holy Spirit keeps on giving. All about God is all about the love of giving. So why would you steal? Why would you take from someone else? Now, we think about possessions, but why would you steal someone's glory? Why would you be jealous of what they have? Why would... Oh, that's more coveting. We'll get to that in a minute. But why would you steal the glory of God for yourself? To gain for ourselves. And also, you know, in one sense, most sin kind of steals time. You notice that? When you're sinning, doing something you shouldn't do, you're actually not doing what you should do. Um, that's, one big, that's one aspect of sin. We should be using our time to love God and to love others, and, and we steal that time in sin. That's why in, in Ephesians for, although you might not find it in a lot of Bibles, Paul uses the expression, redeem your time. Buy it back. Don't waste it. You know, I still remember as kids, we, we used to have discussions because using your time when you're kids, for some reason it's, it's, something that I, it's just not around now. It was like, how do you, what's the quickest way to button up your shirt? Do you remember having that discussion? Do you start at the top or the bottom? And things like that. Older people remember those discussions? Because you needed to get maximum, maximum dollar for maximum time and things like that. Uh, it, but you see now, well, you, 
stare at the phone for a couple of hours. doesn't matter, does it? Because our time's not that important. Redeem the time. Don't steal it. It belongs to God. Your days, your hours, your minutes belong to God. Don't steal them for useless stuff and don't steal them for sin. Use them for good. Hope that makes sense. Coveting is not so much the stealing in physical. It's what happens in your heart. The desires you want more. You want what belongs to others. It includes an intense jealousy and envy. Whether it be another woman, another man, other possessions. Often uh, people covet a relationship. I wish my relationship was like their relationship. If you were in that relationship, you might realise that you don't want to covet it anymore. You know what I mean? But um, coveting comes from a heart of discontent with what God has given us. Where we, he has given us every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realm. He has given us everything we need. When we're coveting, it's not what we need. It's what we want. It's something extra. And what it does is when you are eternally looking for something to satisfy you, coveting, outside of God, it causes your love to grow cold. Because you see, coveting is talking about an action of the heart. It's talking about what you're thinking about when you're walking, what you're thinking about when you're laying in bed, the things you're desiring. And if all that you're desiring is not God, if all that you're loving is not him, your love will grow cold. Do you understand what I'm saying? You'll grow towards people and you'll go towards God. Your love will shrivel up, basically. So Paul sums up this by saying... Love does no harm to a neighbour. Therefore, love is the fulfilment of the law. Love, you, it, you cannot continue to work evil against your neighbour and love. Love can't do evil. Love is the opposite of evil. Love is shunning what is evil. Love is the absence of evil and it is clinging to what is good. That's what Paul said previously in chapter 12 and 13. Evil brings about hatred. It will always result in hurt and harm. We all do evil, unfortunately. It's a shame. Like We feel a deep shame in us when we know we have hurt and harmed another person, don't we? And we do that. Sometimes we do it far too much. We are capable of harm. But what Paul is saying, overcome evil with good. Overcome evil with love. Overcome hatred and hurt. Now, you can't change what someone does to you. They will hurt you and harm you. But Paul's already said what to do with them. Love your enemies. Bless those who persecute you. When someone hurts you, pray for them. Okay? Overcome evil with good. What God doesn't say, what God's love doesn't say is... I will love you if you love me back. Okay? He has a love which is, I've heard called, adoptive love. Now, what, why would you call it adoptive love? It's when someone adopts a child into their family without having uh, you know, said that they, they need to love me. In fact, they don't even know me. You adopt them in with no preconditions you adopt them in with no strings attached. Basically what happens in adoptive love, if parents say or a couple say, I am going to choose to love this child 
And it is not based on them. It's based on the overflow of love. That's what God does for us. He chooses to love us, not based because it was based on our behaviour, we'd fail. If it was based on our history, we'd fail. If it was based on our haircuts, I'd fail. We, we would fail in every respect. But you see, God doesn't do that. He, whilst we were his enemies, he chose to love us. It's not based on us. So Jesus is the heart of love. You see, him is the, he is the fulfilment of the law. And you also, when you look at him, how much love came back at him when he was on the cross and everybody was there. Oh, he's wonderful. That wasn't what was going on, was it? Everybody hated him and rejected him at that moment. And yet he continued to love and he says, this is what sets you apart as my disciples, that you love one another. This is how you'll be known. He also said, what credit is it to you when you kind of love those who are really lovable and you don't love the enemies? Okay. When we hold back love, we are actually holding back what is rightfully other people's and we have a debt. Now, this can be really hard. I was thinking about counselling people and you might think, well, none of you are counsellors, but you all do counsel people. You, you do that in conversation and you particularly will counsel people who come and say, so-and-so has hurt me. And as we know often, it is real hurt. But what we've learnt to do in particularly our age in the Western society is to pat people's backs and encourage them into victimhood. They're there. They really have done wrong. Uh, you're right to feel this way. I just want to encourage you, if I was in your position, I would be, I would be angry like you. You should be angry. Right? Now, all those things, they have a heart in justice and there's a truth to that. But actually, if that is how we counsel people, if that is how we help people, we are actually not going to help them much. Because encouraging me in the victim gives them the self-righteousness that I've been sinned against, I'm right, I have a right to hate, to be bitter, to look down on others. But you see, this chapter is saying... We counsel people, yes, you can say, that hurt is real. Yes, someone has sinned against you, that's true. But what about the forgiveness that's come to us through Jesus Christ? Is that going to flow through you? What about the grace, undeserved favour, the loving of enemies? Is that going to flow through you? To show love in impossible places. Because to do that... You must draw on the cross. There is nowhere else to go but the cross. You go to the gospel. You go to his love and the way he's loved us. We could say, well, that person doesn't deserve love. We don't deserve love. That's the point. hope that makes sense. God showed his love to us while we were sinners. You want the definition of love... It is the cross. And the same way that Jesus loved at the cross is the same way that we love. Okay. 
how do you turn it around if you're a person who is in that place of bitterness, that place where your love's gone cold? Well, I'll say this again. Look firstly to the love of Christ. This is love. Not that we love God, but he loved us and sent his son as a propitiation for our sins. Okay? Look to that love again and again and pray for the work of the Holy Spirit in your life to bring that love to life in you. Because when I'm saying you have this incredible deep well of clear water, I'm not just talking about nice feelings he love. I'm talking about a gutsy love that forgives enemies that flows from God. I'm talking about a solid love, a love that is full of justice and hatred for sin and yet loves sinners. Do you get what I'm saying? And do this, verse 11 says, understanding the present time, the hour has already come for you to wake up from your slumber because your, our salvation is nearer now than when we first believed. The night is nearly over. The day is almost here. Why do you want to love? The end is coming. We're at a crucial time. The day of your salvation today is closer than it was yesterday. So don't go to sleep. Remember Jesus told the parable about those foolish virgins who went to sleep or run out of oil or got lazy. Don't be like them. Keep feeling your oil. What's your oil, What's your oil pot? The Holy Spirit. Keep coming to him and drawing from him. Don't go to sleep. Jesus will come back soon. Okay? The, the next thing that will happen is he will return or we will die and go to him. But it's going to happen. We don't know those days. But in either case, in light of the salvation that you have, love now all those that God presents to you. And don't give up doing it. Be diligent with it. And to know this, you have the ability to do it. You have the resources to do it, but it does, it's not going to come from you. Wake up, it's what he's saying. And if you have... A, you, what Christians can get... Because one thing I want you to see here, this is a passage written to Christians. It's a passage written to the church. Okay? And we, all of us, at times, end up with a seared conscience. We become kind of hardened towards others. We don't love, we don't forgive, and, we, and it becomes habitual to us. We become in the habit of living in a coldness. We need the Holy Spirit to renew our consciences, to make them soft with God's law. At times we lose our eagerness, our passion, our drive to love. Again, our love grows cold. We need the Holy Spirit. And Paul's saying here, don't become lazy. We are one breath closer to our salvation now. So love as God's love. Let us put behind, put aside sorry, the deeds of darkness and put on the armour of light. Let us behave decently, as in the daytime, not in carousing and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and debauchery, not in dissension and jealousy. The devil loves to do his work in the dark, but we shine the light of God's love. We are about our Father's business. And that light, he says, the light of Christ is our armour. Because in a minute he's going to say, put on Christ, put on his righteousness, put on his love, cast off the darkness put on Christ. Darkness 
this is a struggle for us because darkness is always right there. Sometimes it feels like it's right here, but you've been given a new heart in Christ Jesus. So darkness is very close to us and you must fix your eyes on Jesus. But every one of us is in this battle and that battle, again, remind yourself of the cross, of the gospel. That will, overpower, that will sorry, empower us to love. Let us behave decently as in the daytime, not carousing. I had to look up these words, sorry. Carousing, drinking alcohol noisily was the, was the definition. Partying and drunkenness. I think that when people are drunk, they, they do evil without thinking about it. They lose their... Uh, they become dull to good and evil. Not in sexual immorality. Now, that, that's not just adultery, by the way. That is any, any form of sexual activity outside of marriage of a man and a woman. Pornography. Anything. And debauchery, which is orgies and excessive indulgence in sex, alcohol and drugs. Again, it's addictive behaviour. And not in dissensions, divisions and jealousy. Now... Can you see there that so much of what Paul describes, we say, gee, the world's getting worse. Paul's kind of describing first century, 2,000 years ago, Middle East. Evil is the norm of our society and these things, particularly sexual sin, drunkenness, that sort of partying, drug addiction, they were around then, by the way, too. Actually, in our society right now, that's, that's normal. In fact, that's good, isn't it? All that sort of partying behaviour, drunkenness. Well, he's saying these are destructive and they destroy love. They will tear you down. And now, I mean, in, I'll be honest, in St George, drunkenness is a real problem, isn't it? Young people would agree, yeah? It's huge. And... And Christians will say, it's okay to drink alcohol, and that's completely true. There's not a problem with that. But then the Christians will say, it's okay to drink alcohol, and then they'll get drunk and fall into sin. That is a problem, isn't it? Yeah? So, if you're of that ilk that falls into sin and gets drunk, then don't drink alcohol, because you can use the law to justify your actions. Okay, because these sins, again, uh, sexual sin, uh, drugs, alcohol and stuff, they bring to the Christian church a slumber, a slackness, a laziness. It's like we're doped up, well, we are. Yeah, we become dopey Christians who are not attentive to what? The needs of other people, love. Loving God. We become dull to God. Be reminded. Okay. Rather, this verse 14, this is how he sums up, and it's a beautiful thing how he sums up. How are we going to do this? Rather, clothe yourself with the Lord Jesus Christ and do not think about how to gratify the desires of the flesh. Stop thinking about ways about the desires of the flesh. And clothe yourselves, 
put on Jesus. I've been crucified with Christ. I no longer live. I live the life I live in the body. I live by faith in the Son of God. Put him on all the time. Everything is about Jesus. Fix your eyes on Jesus. Do you know, as we're Christians. We love Jesus. Christians. Christians. We're Jesusians, if we want to be that. We're all about Jesus. And I tell you why. He is everything to us. He is the one we love. So he's saying there, don't give the flesh anything. Don't, you understand? Flesh is like a Labrador. Just, it's insatiable. It's going to eat forever. Okay? Until it gets big and fat and splits open. That's apparently what happens with Labradors if you give them the whole basket. Okay. But as soon as you feed the flesh a little bit, it wants to take over. It rises up in you and it overcomes you. It wants to control you. You give it an inch, it takes a mile. We remember, though, this. Everything we have is in Christ. So put on Christ. Look to him. He's given us everything we need for eternal life. And that's not just talking about future. It's talking about life in the now, life in the present, as we focus on him, as we're part of his body. You know, uh, it, it's, a, it's a cool thing to see young people fall in love. You know, boys and girls, they fall in love and they get boyfriends and they get girlfriends. and It's cool, isn't it? It's especially cool when it's Christians and they, they live that out in a, in a holy way. And they are just totally besotted with the other one. Love Jesus like that. Love Jesus like that. Study him, talk to him, because that's what the boy does with the girl. He's studying her, he's looking at her, and everything's wonderful. Everything's perfect, you know. Well, it is so with Christ. Love him. Or maybe you put it another way. What about the husband and wife who've been married for 50 years and the husband or the wife realises that they are actually can't do anything much anymore and the other person serves them all the time and gives everything to them and, and you get these elderly people who say... My wife, she is just everything. She's just wonderful, you know what I mean? She does everything for me and I can't do it. And, and he, he loves her. like love, love Jesus like that. Love him and know that everything's given to by him and you can't do anything without him. Can you, can you understand what I'm saying? Let our love... Look, look at this world and see the way it loves, but don't, don't put that there. Love Christ. Because he's everything to us and we can't do with it. We are so blessed to have him. He is all. Again, look to the cross and live in the power of that love and the power of the Holy Spirit. I'm going to pray. Father, we want to thank you for the way you've loved us. A love without limits. A love that gave up your son for us. And Father, we want to confess that we haven't loved you for a moment with all of our hearts and soul and mind and strength and we have not loved our neighbours. We've allowed bitterness and unforgiveness and cold love to enter our hearts. And I pray, Father, that you would powerfully work in us by your Holy Spirit, that you would renew our love, that you would cause us to be people who are soft and attentive to others and people who just can't stop loving you, who who put you at the centre of all of our lives. Father, minister to us in your power by your spirit to make us live as the new people you've created us to be. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.